Hi, good afternoon, everyone. This is uh, Kalai Parisami from the Institute for Clinical Research. Uh, with me together is Dr. Farizda. She's the National Head of Ophthalmology Services, Ministry of Health Malaysia. She's also the head of CRC at the hospital, uh, Shah Alam, and also uh, she's our deputy here at the Institute of Clinical Research, NIH Malaysia. Uh, it's a great session to join back you uh, in a matter of a few weeks since our last webinar. We hosted the Infectious Disease and the, and the Society for Infection Control over a series of webinars. And so we are glad again to be online from NIH. Uh, this week, uh, we are celebrating the World Glaucoma Week. And on that occasion, I'm uh, happy to uh, jointly host it from ICR NIH. I'd like to thank Dr. Pariza's team to put together this session. As you know, uh, all our webinars, we have uh, Q&A sessions. And so for that, please uh, refer to our Slido app that is provided. You can address your questions to our experts who will be introduced later by Dr. Pariza. As you know, this is organized during a pandemic and often sometimes, uh, you know, getting things done very quickly is necessary. Likewise, this webinar is hosted in a very short time. And so for your CPD points, please uh, refer back to our certificate as provided at the end of the session. So make sure you register yourself, your attendance, and then you can use the certificate to then get your CPD verified. Uh, as far as the slides and the notes, we will try to facilitate that by getting it uh, from the speakers and also your questions and so on and so forth will be synthesized so that we can all share the session Today, we have two uh, sessions uh, through Dr. Fariza. She'll introduce our moderator as well as our expert panel for today. So again, welcome to our webinar, World of Glaucoma Week. And I'm happy to pass to Dr. Fariza to take the session. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Kalai. So before I introduce the moderator and the speaker, allow me to say a few words. Uh, regarding the pandemic and um, eye condition. Since the emergence of COVID-19, access to eye care has continued to change. Um, lockdown and concern about the virus exposure has caused people of all ages actually to cancel and delay their routine eye appointments. And this actually raising concern among the eye care providers. As the pandemic continues into its second year, what have we learned from our patient experience? And also, can this ocular health be neglected any longer. Acute eye conditions such as red eye, eye pain, actually we bring the patient urgently to the eye um, doctors. However, those with chronic eye condition with no specific complaint, less likely to do so, um, especially during the pandemic um, time. So thousands of patients actually previously sought regular treatment for their chronic eye sight threatening condition actually missing their vital appointments that help to preserve their vision. So today, as mentioned by Dr. Kalai, in conjunction with the World Glaucoma Week 2021, we are honored to have um, both our moderator, Dr. Tan Chai Kiong, who is actually the fellow in subspecialty of glaucoma from Hospital Slayang. And uh, we have with us Professor Dr. Lisa Shamini uh, from Hospital University Science Malaysia to share with us in regards to the uh, management of chronic eye condition in the era of pandemics. So I pass the floor to Dr. Tan to moderate the session. Thank you, Dr. Fariza. Uh, thank you, ICR, for inviting me uh, to moderate this session. My name is Tan Chai Kiong. I'm a currently a specialist from Hospital Salayang. So today we will discuss a very interesting topic related to ophthalmology. 
uh, namely the, in, uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown, indirect impact on chronic eye disease. As what uh, Dr. Faiza has mentioned, um, the COVID-19 has been with us for the past one year, more than one year. And then uh, we, as I am also a part of the healthcare and ophthalmology, it greatly affected us in, in the outpatient and also operation services for ophthalmology. Although we did uh, our best effort to reschedule the patient's appointment, and uh, but still patient, some patients are uncontactable and then uh, patient will, uh, the eye condition become worse and then we, we end up managing them in a very later stage. So the, before I uh, pass the, the floor to the presenter, let me uh, introduce uh, our presenter today. Uh, she, she is my prof from uh, UST Science Malaysia, from Lija Shamini Matajudin. Uh, she is a senior glaucoma consultant and lecturer in University Science Malaysia, Kuban Korean Kelantan. She involved in conducting many clinical research and published numerous manuscripts in various journals locally and internationally. Uh, besides that, she is also holding various posts in Malaysia and overseas, either in the ophthalmology or glaucoma society. Uh, so put, let's put our hand together and welcome Prof. Liza Samini and uh, to continue her, her presentation. Uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Tan CK. Uh, thank you, the organizer, Dr. Kalai from IRC, and also uh, the National Head of Service of Pharmacology, Dr. Fariza, for inviting me. Uh, I'm a bit apprehensive, actually, because this is the first time I'm talking to the crowd that I don't know. And I was given one hour. Wow, that's a long hour to, for me to talk a lot about uh, eye disease. Okay, let us start uh, my presentation. Let me share my screen. Okay, Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and also very good afternoon to all who are listening and tuning in into this our webinar today. So I was tasked to talk about COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown indirect impact on chronic ocular diseases. All right, I'm all the way from Kota Baru. I'm, uh, the organizer is in Shah Alam, so we are far apart, but yet we are close. Right, this is my disclaimer, and this are my financial disclosure. Right, for those who have long have left ophthalmology or have done ophthalmology for two or three weeks long time ago, just a quick review back to the anatomy of the eye. This is just a cut section of the eye. You can see that the eye is divided into anterior and posterior segment. The anterior segment is from the cornea until the anterior face of the uh, vitreous and then the vitreous retina and the optic nerve. Okay, so although this eye will be such a small structure, but very important, vital to our daily activities. And without no exception, so this beautiful uh, RNA virus also affects our eye. So it is either through their postulated, although they are not really certain how this goes into the eye, but most likely it's through the tears. And based on the finding currently, they have found uh, the, the virus in the tears through the RT-PCR. And it seems that from the tears 
through the direct integration into the mucosal membrane to the conjunctiva. And as you know, our conjunctiva and our nasopharyngeal mucosa is linked uh, directly through our nasolacrimal duct where our teeth goes in. And these will actually propagate the migration into the lungs. And vice versa, there is also postulation saying that from the lung, it goes up back to the tears, although there is not really a, a concrete evidence to actually uh, um, uh, support this kind of theory. And of course, they are also saying most uh, probably there are also hematogenous spread. And it's also found that the involvement of the eye can be part of initial finding of COVID-19 infection or at the middle phase or even at the severe one. Right. I'm sure you remember this guy, uh, the late the Lee Wen Liang. She, he is, is actually a glaucoma specialist in Wuhan, China. It's dubbed as a whistleblower, but we are not sure either it's true or not because there is a lot of conspiracy theory, I guess, everywhere about who is actually the whistleblower of this particular uh, pandemic. So he, he actually passed away uh, last year in March. Um, he treated one of the eye, one of his patients who comes with red eye that was diagnosed as acute angle closure and subsequently contracted this disease from this particular patient. So what are the ocular manifestations of COVID-19 in the eye? There has been reported a lot of findings like conjunctivitis-like features. So you have red eye, uh, hyperemic uh, conjunctiva, just like any other viral conjunctivitis, I'm sure many of us have uh, went through uh, uh, many, many attacks of conjunctivitis before. Although they have reported severe cases like keratoconjunctivitis, whereby you can see pseudodendritics, uh, reaction in anterior chambers, right? That are in terms of the sign. But in terms of the symptoms, usually they will presented with red eye, photophobia, blurring of vision, itchiness, dry eye, and foreign body sensation. Okay. However, one good thing about this is the, this particular incidence of ophthalmic uh, presentation of COVID-19, it is not as rampant or not as much as um, um, viral kind of infection of COVID-19. So far, there are many... Uh, many percentage have been quoted because uh, some quoted at 4%, some of just 2%, but it's not as a common as much as a fever or malaria or even anoxemia. Right, as based on the trailer just now, you know that this particular pandemic started off in 2019, it goes all, all over the world, that makes WHO actually announced it as a pandemic in 11 March. So most of the country will announce it based on how, um, how rampant is the, the infection, how bad is the infection. Uh, and in Malaysia, it was announced in 18 March. So there's many names when they are trying to uh, contain the transmission. There are many names that we call and basically most of these particular uh, moves are actually to ask everybody to stay at home so that they will actually break up the transmission. Although some call it lockdown in Malaysia, we call movement control order. Even the Premier League asks us to stay at home. Okay, and now they are still playing on the field but without any spectator. Okay, but still we are cheering them up in, at home in front of your TV. Right, so. 
there's many um, uh, effects of this pandemic and the lockdown. Of course, the best is for the mother nature. The mother nature are so relieved because they have improved water quality. The life is more peaceful, no noise pollution. The environment is much better. Okay. And of course, the internet thing are actually booming because we never think that we will be actually conducted this kind of webinar through the internet, through this all the platform. And I have to learn all, all this platform to teach and also to, you know, um, 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 uh, man, uh, maintain the connection with the family members and everything. Of course, there are also the, the, the bad effect of this pandemic and lockdown, especially to our economy industry. And uh, actually, there is a lot of um, discussion on syndemic or pandemic, whereby uh, when you have this pandemic and lockdown, there's more unemployment. So the, 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 the disparity between those who are um, of uh, of um, high income and the low income become very uh, wider, and this will actually affect also in terms of the healthcare provider as a long term. Okay, but how about the ophthalmic service? That's what we mentioned by Dr. Nafariza just now. There's a lot of patients who doesn't come to our follow up anymore because of this disruption due to the lockdown and this pandemic. As you know, ophthalmic services are basically clinic-based. Clinic we have a lot of daycare surgery uh, and less of the uh, admission cases. Since, as I said, that the presentation of, uh, of COVID-19 on the eye is not as, uh, as much as on the lungs and other complications, so automatically, most hospitals give less priority to ophthalmic service. And most of the uh, staff, especially the medical officer, nurses are transferred to more needed area, for example, in emergency uh, or in uh, emergency department or in terms of into the COVID-19 area. So this no doubt will actually affect our service. However, the priority is still being given to the emergency cases and surgical emergencies cases and emergency surgery. So this is one of the paper that uh, explained the experience in Italy that involves six hospitals, whereby over one month of lockout in six hospitals in Italy, the reduction in terms of elective surgery injection has reduced in it reduced up to 70% as compared to the same time in 2019. So they are affected more, much more than us. So we can expect the, the impact are larger than what experienced in Malaysia. So of course, there is a lot of confusion during the pandemic, uh, what to do. And of course, many other countries also come with a guideline. So this is the guideline uh, for the ophthalmologists by College of Ophthalmologists. And there are also papers coming out from our Malaysia itself that explain what to do to all the ophthalmologists when handling the cases during the pandemic uh, time and during the lockdown. So there is a lot of confusion to wear PPE, not to wear PPE to take the swap, not to swap. So based on this, we hope that uh, the rest of the uh, eye care provider uh, will be more, um, um, more organized in terms of managing the uh, eye cases. 
Okay, let us look into psychological impact of this particular pandemic and lockdown. Of course, there is a lot of people in general for all uh, pub, uh, in terms of public or in terms of the, uh, the healthcare providers, but very minimal people looking into the psychological impact on people with eye disease. This is one of the people uh, in UK whereby there are 325 responders. They are using a special questionnaire of 27 questions that you can see here that many of them has expressed loneliness, of course, and they are worried about the accessibility to the hospital treatment, and they are worried about being blind. I think nearly 50% of them, and they at the same time express that are a bit anxious to go to the hospital because there where most of the COVID patients will be treated. So the risk for them to contract the infection is also high. So this is one of the reasons why they did not get uh, treatment or uh, during this particular trying time. So that is in a developed country where the cases are higher. This is another paper whereby in Jordan, whereby 201 participants involved, they use many questionnaires, SF12, DAS21 and EIVFQ25. VFQ stands for Visual Function Questionnaire, uh, 25 items all together. And most of the patient is actually diabetic retinopathy patient and glaucoma patient. And more than half is actually have diabetic as their systemic comorbidities. You can see here that many of them reported they need to see the, the uh, consultant, ophthalmologist consultant. Some or I mean, a, a quarter of them think that they, they are, their visual symptom deteriorated. And many of them expressed the difficulty to reach the hospital and to get the medication during the lockdown. Okay, so these are the questionnaire after they have control for diabetes. There was significant difference as compared to previously. Okay, right. Now, how about those with chronic disease? With chronic ocular disease has been mentioned by Dr. Fariza just now. These include glaucoma, because glaucoma is considered a chronic disease because it's just like diabetes or hypertension, you need to treat and follow up for life. The other thing is diabetic retinopathy, but this is closely related to chronic systemic disease, diabetes itself. So the more it's uncontrolled, the higher the complication will be, the more treatments needed, the more closer follow-up are required. The other thing is age-related macular deletion. This is another one whereby uh, the follow-up is required and there are intermittent intravitreal injection to reduce any complication. Of course, uveitis will be one of them, but uh, based on the search they have done, nothing much should be reported on this. Uh, this uh, uveitis particularly, we are talking about the chronic one, not the acute one, but, some, but most of the them even when they have acute, they know uh, a chronic, they know when is what is the uh, acute symptom, they will come to the emergency department compared to those with glaucoma, age related macular degeneration, diabetes, retinopathy. Okay, let us look what we have learned from this. Okay, right, before I go, since I'm a glaucoma specialist, I'm going to, be, to emphasize more on glaucoma compared to the rest of the disease. Okay, so what is glaucoma basically? As I said just now, the third session of the eye, we had the optic nerve. So what happened during glaucoma is basically there will be changes at the optic nerve head here. 
So this is your normal optic nerve. This is just a quick revision to the rest so that uh, you can see this is the disc and this is the cup. It's around 0 0.3 to 0 0.4 and there's many nerve fibers that goes into this particular disc. And as if you get glaucoma slowly over the years, there are going to be changes whereby the nerve fiber sort of die off or become damaged slowly from the peripheral until it's almost fully come like this. At the same time, when these structure changes occur, this also will affect the functional changes. You can see here, this is a normal visual field. Okay, this is a small little dot, which is your blind spot, which is represent back to your features just now. And as it progresses, your visual field, this is like a mapping of your uh, retinal fiber just now, will start to constricting slowly and slowly until it becomes tunnel vision. The thing is about glaucoma is most of them are asymptomatic. They don't have any symptom except a few cases whereby you can have acute uh, glaucoma attack whereby the IOP is high, then it becomes symptomatic. And peculiarly enough, even if you have tunnel vision like this, your central vision is still preserved. So you can even still have 6-6 vision at this particular point of time. Okay, let's see what is the experience of the patient. This is a normal visual field. You can see two girls and one boy here. When you get glaucoma, slowly your peripheral vision will be reduced. So instead of seeing three, you may actually slowly see one. And at the end, even one, you can just see part of the face. Okay, so when you get this, patient tends to get a lot of uh, domestic injury, a lot of fall because they can't see from the periphery only the central one. There are cases whereby I have patients that complain that they are nasi kerabu because from Kota Baru, nasi kerabu is very popular. They will say that their children are feeding them only the rice without any side dishes. And the children were telling me that... Uh, their father is only re-eating the rice, but not the side dishes. It's just because he has a concentrated visual field, so they can just see part of it. Okay. So because it's asymptomatic, this is known as TIFOS site. And whatever happened, the structure and functional changes, it is irreversible. So far, until now, the only, uh, the only way to actually control or retard this progression of optic neuropathy glaucoma is to control the intraocular pressure. This uh, known as the only modifiable risk factors. But the most important risk factor is still age, meaning as you get older, the risk for you to get glaucoma are higher. Not to say that the young one does not have glaucoma. We have juvenile onset open-ended glaucoma and also congenital glaucoma. But these diseases are more of age-related kind of disease. All right. As I said, the management is to modify the intraocular pressure. Then you have, in terms of management, you have to achieve the target pressure. At the same time, you try to maintain their quality of life so that they be more independent. So in, uh, in order to achieve target pressure, these are the modalities that we have until now is to control the, uh, using a, a control the intraocular pressure using either topical pressure, lowering drugs, laser therapy or surgery. Okay, And all this uh, management, of course, will be incurring costs either to our health system or 
to the pocket of our patient himself, right? So because of this, because of the slow reduction of the peripheral visual field, we know that glaucoma patients have poor quality of life. This is all our uh, local, uh, local paper. And this was my latest paper that will be accepted, uh, we published yesterday. So we can see that these many of these patients have poor quality of life. They are more dependent. They have even undiagnosed depression. Okay, what more? This is in a normal situation. So with COVID-19, I think this quality of life and depression will be even worse. Right, there is not much study on uh, the impact of uh, uh, lockdown in our glaucoma patient. This is uh, uh, our study conducted last year, whereby it is a cross-sectional study. Uh, this is conducted after our PKP. I can't remember what PKP stands for, PKPD. Uh, I can't remember all this PPK. And this was lifted somewhere in June. So we conducted this study over two months periods, uh, whereby what we do is, um, we, uh, we collected the data from our glaucoma patient who attended the clinic between these two months period, who already been followed up under our follow-up, at least minimum three previous visits prior to the lockdown, a confirmed case of glaucoma. We exclude to a newly diagnosed or glaucoma suspect, those with other optic neuropathies or any concurrent retinopathies except for non-proliferative diabetic retinopathies, okay? Right, so we, uh, there's, uh, there's around 193 patients involved. We look into their visual acuity, intraocular pressure, and come to this ratio just now that I showed you, pre-lockdown, and we compare with the post-lockdown during this two months period of follow-up. So, and apart from looking into the visual acuity, intraocular pressure, and come to the ratio, we also look at the outcome whereby we define the outcome as either they have mismedication. Mismedication is defined as not on any medication more than two weeks duration, or during the follow-up, the, the recent follow-up of these two months, there is a change of treatment. Either we switch, change, or add medications to the initial management, or there is admission for uncontrolled high IUP. Okay, so we analyze the data of 193 patients. So these are the data. Basically, most of them are bilateral cases, only 41 on unilateral cases. And of course, since it is in Kelantan, in Kota Baru, so the, the Malays are 93% of them, so majority Malay and more male. And the mean age is around 64.9. And the duration between the pre and post MCO are around 26.4 weeks. Uh, I'm just want to um, uh, about uh, our service in Kelantan in KUSM and also in HRPZ. Although we serve Kelantan population, but the nearby from Besut always come to us, and not to uh, those from Pahang, even from Kuala Lipis, used to come to us by train for any of the follow up. And peculiarly about the Kelantanese people is no matter where they are. They still love to be, uh, to die in Kelantan, I think. 
and then to get treatment and follow up in Kelantan. So we have a lot of patients who actually flew all the way from Kuala Lumpur to get a follow up or treatment in Kota Baru. Okay, so we have like meditourism kind of thing. Right, so these are the visual activity pre and post MCO. Okay, you can see here, uh, this is the left eye. This is 66612, it's a normal one. This is mildly impaired, uh, severely impaired. And this is already blind, no perception to that. You can see from the left eye there, from during the post MCO, there's a quite a number of patients who actually have their eye getting worse compared to the pre-MCO on the left eye. Interestingly, on the right eye, there is increase of four eyes that become blind during the lockdown. Okay, Although all these findings are not significant, but it's significant enough to the individual patients. Okay, And this is the intraocular pressure and vertical cup ratio changes that we have uh, 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 assessed during this, that particular two months period. And true enough, since the visual acuity has been worse on the right eye, there was significant uh, difference in terms of intraocular pressure between the pre and post MCO in the right eye and also in terms of changes of vertical cupus ratio, indicating that the glaucoma progresses during the period of lockdown and pandemic at that particular point of time. Right. This is, these are the outcome. You can see here that although there is no change of man management in the majority of the patient, but 22 patients actually miss medication, meaning that more than two weeks they missed their medication. One case need admission for high IOP and change of treatment in 36 patients. Okay, let us look into some of the cases here. Okay. Um, for example, the first case, it is a 44-year-old female patient who was diagnosed uh, neovascular glaucoma secondary to ischemic uh, central retinal vein occlusion pre-lockdown. Uh, and um, at that point of time, is, uh, her vision is her movement, IUP was 54, this, this is just hyperemic, but somehow he missed medication, missed medication for 18 weeks. And during the, the follow-up period post-lockdown, her vision deteriorated, IOP was 60, and the disease was failed. Okay. And the second case is actually from Besut Terengganu, you know, because of our PKP or the lockdown or the movement control order, those from Terengganu cannot travel to Kota Baru or through Kelantan because of the regulation. Okay, the restriction of movement. So this case is a 56 female patient, uh, bilateral primary open angle glaucoma. Initially, the vision is PL with IOP 32, 0.9. Because she missed medication for nearly 13 weeks, so the IOP showed up and her vision deteriorated to no perception to light. And the other case is an 80-year-old male patient uh, he is just living nearby, whereby this is just in Bacho. And most of our patients, the elderly one, usually wait for their children from KL to take leave and bring them to the hospital. So because the children is staying away in Kuala Lumpur or in Penang or in Johor, so they cannot cross over to Kelantan. So he missed medication to come to us. So from the vision of not too bad of hand movement, 
uh, he developed uh, fully cupping and lost his vision. The last case is a 39 years old juvenile open angle glaucoma. This patient is from Rao Paham. Uh, he is actually from Kelantan. I was working in Rao. So all the time he would travel to uh, our hospital for medication, follow up, and also intervention. So because of this, uh, from, because of the lockdown, he did not turn up. So his vision actually uh, still salvageable for, uh, for a while, but the IOP still not controlled because even pre-MC was not controlled. This one is even not controlled with the progression of cup is ratio of 0.9. So we admitted him and then we started the medication and after that, uh, his IOP come down and then uh, we asked him to come back for um, for a follow-up later on. Okay, so that are among the cases, uh, although it was not significant in terms of uh, the statistically significant, but individually to the patient and to us who treated this patient, this kind of very uh, sad occasion for us. Okay, right. That is about glaucoma. Let us look into age-related macular degeneration. Now, I'm not the expert. Dr. Farisa is more than the expert in this area. But uh, unlike uh, glaucoma, where affect the peripheral vision, age-related macular degeneration affects central vision. Okay, you can see the white white dot here is what we call drusen. It's just like when you age, you have white eye. Your retina also become white. Okay, so this uh, kind of uh, age-related macular degeneration can be either dry one or the white one. But we are so special in Asian. We have another subtype. We call it polypoidal vasculopathy. Okay, so these are the changes based on uh, how uh, the the fovea. You know, the fovea is where the the central that we look at each other. So once it becomes scarred or it becomes there is a subretinal hemorrhage, of course your central vision will be affected. So the management so far are using intravitreal anti-VEGF. And this thing, even the dry can turn into the wet, even the wet become dry, can be wet again. So that's just indicated that they need a long-term kind of follow-up and treatment, okay? So this is another finding by UK EMR, Electronic Medical Record User Group, they come and they have sort of um, trying to do a simulated model using transcribed bootstrap whereby they look into the EMR in April 2019 versus April 2020, where the lockdown uh, happened in UK. So they found that 72% of this age-related microbiome uh, does not turn up to a regular visit. And they postulated, based on 100 neovascular uh, AMD, uh, will have a three months delay of treatment with their vision of 660, 23% of them out of that 100, 1,000 And more than 50% will actually get vision less than 660, okay? This is what being postulated in United Kingdom, all right? Then this is another one. Uh, this is in Italy because they are, uh, most of these two countries, UK and Italy, they have a lot of, uh, COVID cases and they have a lot of aging population. So uh, no surprise that the AMD or age-rated macular degeneration are much higher as compared to Asia. So this is based on the eight weeks lockdown in Italy. You can see around 68 to 71% reduction of clinic visits. 
and reduction of intravitreal treatment of 39%. And based on their case series, there are 41 patients who actually develop submacular hemorrhages. Okay. And out of these 41, uh, two actually missed appointment and six other missed their intermittent intravitreal treatment. These intravitreal treatment are not given once, sometimes they're given more than uh, one cycle. They have multiple cycles given based on the changes that occur in their retina. Okay, right. This is another one in New York City during the lockdown whereby they reported 14 cases of submacular hemorrhage. This is the hemorrhage that occur, the submacular hemorrhage. And most of them, when they presented, there are 10 cases of them delayed from their usual follow-up of 50.4 days to 125 days. One case who actually inactive become active lesion, meaning that dry or have been fibrosis become wet. And three cases are non acidated that become acidated. But what interesting, uh, interesting finding is they, based on these 14 patients, most of them come with a thicker hemorrhage, which indicated a poorer prognosis uh, during the lockdown. Okay, So that is what happened in age-related uh, macular degeneration. Whereby in diabetic retinopathy, there's not much uh, paper or experience being um, quoted in many, most of the paper. Of course, it's closely related to complication of diabetes mellitus. The more poorly controlled during the lockdown, there are more increased incidence of diabetes retinopathy. Okay. And uh, based on this study in India, they estimated that um, uh, during the lockdown, within the 30 days of lockdown, 2.26 to 3.68% of the diabetic patient will be a bit uh, uncontrolled diabetic. And based on their uh, estimation, 2.8% uh, of these patients will develop as new patient of NPDR and 2.9% become proliferative diabetic retinopathy and 1.5% increase of those needed a photocoagulation therapy. This is a laser therapy to reduce, uh, uh, to treat diabetic retinopathy. Okay, but uh, fortunately, uh, there is a lesser incident of increase of myocardial infarct and neuropathy based on their estimation. Okay, but nothing much been said in Malaysia or in other country regarding diabetic retinopathy. Say, right, right. Is it that what we can do? What else should we plan in the future? Because this is already our second year in the era of uh, COVID nineteen. There are potential solutions. For example, in UK and uh, in Saudi Arabia, they have started to do uh, intraocular pressure drive-through. So you don't have to see a doctor. You have uh, a nurse uh, wearing PPE and the mask and everything using the automated uh, IOP uh, gadget to intraocular pressure measurement. Uh, just drive-through, just like you are doing drive-through in your McDonald's and KFC. That is another way. And then after that, they will also go and drive through and pick up the medication. Maybe we should do something like this in our uh, country soon. Uh, in fact, there is also suggestion of doing a glaucoma virtual clinic, okay? Whereby uh, you'll be able to do the uh, consultation without having to see the patient directly. 
This is based on one of the suggestions uh, in UK whereby they have conducted this in Manchester Royal Eye Hospital and Bristol Eye Hospital. Um, as you know, to diagnose glaucoma, for example, you have to use a lot of equipment. You need to have your visual field, where this is visual field assessment because that is your functional changes. You need to do your um, autonometer to measure the intraocular pressure. Also, to see the structural changes, you need to use optical coherent tomography. So what they did is they just eliminate the face-to-face -face with the consultant. The rest they have to do in a satellite clinic, whereby that satellite clinic is either meant by the optometrist or by uh, non-specialists, whereby they will have a questionnaire, they do a visual acuity, uh, do the rest of the diagnostic uh, uh, investigation, and all this data will be uploaded into the computer to the consultant, and the consultant will advise accordingly by emailing to the patient. Okay, that is one way for us to go forward in terms of uh, to ensure that the service to our patient is still um, uh, acceptable even in such a trying time just like uh, what we are experiencing currently. Okay, apart from this visual clinic, of course, one of the big thing that you know, the, the, the good effect of the lockdown and this pandemic is basically the booming of artificial intelligence, okay? The other thing is using your own smartphone since it's a smartphone, it must be smart enough to take a fungus photograph. So this will help of early detection, diabetic retinopathy or changes in age macular degeneration. But mind you, most of our diabetic retinopathy, age-related macular degeneration, even glaucoma patients, they are older patients at 60 plus years old. They have to have a steady hand to do this, okay? And of course, they must be a bit IT savvy uh, to even to try this, okay? And of course, uh, most of them sometimes they have dementia and other comorbids that may hamper them from using this kind of uh, gadget to uh, self-diagnose themselves, okay? Yes, as we mentioned just now, another sequel of lockdown, although this is not, uh, this could be a chronic disease also, refractive error. And of course, we'll be grumpy of homeschooling of our children. And there is already reported increased prevalence of myopia among uh, Hong Kong children uh, during their, this lockdown of doing all their uh, study at home. Okay, what more to say that we have actually increased the time screen for our children because they are indoors, they are move, uh, playing games, watching movies, and lots of uh, outdoor activities. So that's likely that they're going to be back of uh, myopia booming again, although we have, uh, I think especially in Singapore, they have a drastic strategy to reduce myopia among their children. So that is another uh, challenge to us in uh, ophthalmic service uh, in the future. Right, so it's at the end of my presentation already. As a conclusion, Indirect impact of COVID-19, particularly in uh, those with chronic eye disease, is more dramatic than what we think. And blindness and vision impairment accelerated in most uh, many patients with chronic eye diseases. Perhaps in the future, we have to improve our preparedness in the health system and thinking of using artificial intelligence and virtual clinic 
to actually to maintain a good uh, ophthalmic service to uh, all our patients. Okay, right? Although we are in this together, we have to fight this together, but at a distance. So we have to be together, but at a distance as what we are doing right now. As what Marie Curie was saying, nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. So I hope you understand what I'm, I'm talking about, the impact of this particular COVID-19, indirect and direct effect to our uh, ophthalmic patient. Now is the time to understand more so that we may fear less. With that, I would like to thank you, uh, uh, the rest, and I am, I'm willing to answer any question. Back to uh, Dr. Tan. Yes, thank you, Prof. Liza, for a wonderful presentation. So, uh, let me go through the Slido to uh, yeah, encounter, encounter some questions, some are quite relevant to our uh, today's presentation and to our uh, this uh, COVID-19 pandemic issue. So, uh, to Prof. Liza, Prof. Liza, so one of the audience actually asks us, is it safe to do cataract surgery during this pandemic? Okay, to answer that, uh, okay, cataract surgery is usually, uh, we would say that um, it's not emergency unless it's already matured as dental glaucoma, uh, for example, but most of the cataract surgery are elective surgery. And sometimes this, uh, in terms of safety, yes, it is still safe. But usually, I, I said just now, we prioritize our, our um, surgery. So maybe uh, the cataract surgery will be less prioritized as compared to, for example, ocular uh, injury, surgery for, for ocular injury, retinal detachment. But do not fear, it is still safe because of all of us. Uh, you remember that I show you the... The guideline, we yeah. are yeah. using the guideline yes. to protect ourselves and also to protect patients. So do not fear, it's still safe, we still protect ourselves. Um, so far, I do not have any, I haven't heard any of the complications of cataract directly related to COVID 19. Of course, there are complications with any surgery, there are complications of cataract surgery, but the incident is still the same. Okay, probably the second question. Um, is the management of glaucoma cases deferred during pandemic um, in the sense of medical versus surgical practice? Okay, uh, that is, uh, yes, uh, I would say yes and no, okay. Uh, we still do the same management who indicated for surgery, we offer for surgery. Those indicated for medical treatment, we still offer for medical treatment. As long as, um, let's say, uh, the, we know that this patient, medical treatment is no longer effective, of course, we will try to get the surgery done as soon as possible. Nothing much has changed, actually. The only thing that has changed, perhaps, the availability of time to do the surgery. Because I said just now, priority was given to other things. And, but compared to uh, surgical therapy for glaucoma and cataract, surgical therapy for glaucoma has slightly higher priority compared to the cataract surgery in general. But it depends on cases and the cases that uh, the surgery is going to take place. Okay, There's no much different, I would say, in general. Yes. 
I, I think uh, we have another question here. So have you noticed any sudden increase in cases of eye disease that might relate to COVID-19? There are studies show COVID-19 are linked to sudden onset of diabetes, malaitis. Uh, I think this one I can help uh, Prof. Liza to answer. So uh, as for COVID-19, we'll say it, uh, it, it presented to, to us because it is a virus, so we presented exactly like a virus conjunctivitis. Yeah. So we do not see uh, any other eye disease that related to COVID-19 besides the way presentation of our viable conjunctivitis. So, and then we do not have a direct correlation also that COVID-19 related to sudden onset of diabetes. I mean, uh, we also not in a uh, good position to answer this. Maybe in the next webinar, we can answer to other colleagues uh, from other colleagues as well. Uh, oh. Okay, can I add you to that? Yes, Dr. Yes, uh, as what I presented just now, there's a lot of conjunctivitis. Uh, that is, was the direct, I think, the direct infection to the eyes, uh, conjunctivitis. But we are not so sure about the incident of conjunctivitis, uh, COVID-19 conjunctivitis per se, because I think we have not really um, curated all these incidents of conjunctivitis uh, related to COVID-19 in Malaysia, I'm not so sure uh, how, how, what are the percentage like. Okay, um, as what I presented just now in terms of diabetes mellitus, um, as what uh, a paper from India was estimated, there is sort of increase in terms of the uh, complication related to diabetes mellitus. And maybe it is true I'm not sure because we are not the endocrinologists, but maybe it is true because you are staying at home, you are more sedentary, and you may, you know, uh, less exercise, and your diet is of high carbohydrates, and you are already at risk. So maybe there is increase of uh, new cases of diabetes mellitus, but I'm not so sure. That is just my postulation. Uh, another question is also uh, quite relevant in our services. Maybe, uh, Sa, can you invite Dr. Fariza? Dr. Fariza? Yeah. Dr. Fariza, yes, Dr. Fariza can, uh, can share your opinion on, uh, on uh, this matter. So, in case of conjunctivitis in the bed, so do we do screening for COVID 19, maybe RTK or uh, the PCR for, for, to this patient? Do, do we have uh, Do we have proper guidelines. Uh, hi, Tan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, there's no proper guideline, but if the patient presented, I think patient presented with other um, systemic symptoms, like they're having fever, or they're having cough, or other symptoms, uh, then we might send the patient for screening. But if it's a pure conjunctivitis with no other symptoms, um, and there's no contact with COVID-19 patient, then we don't, we don't do the COVID screening for them. Yes, I, I agree, because when the patient first entered the hospital, first it has to be screened by questionnaire, uh, they're coming from a, a, a red zone, and they have any contacts, and also they have any other symptoms as well. So if they do not have any symptoms, it's only presented with conjunctivitis, Rarely, conjunctivitis can be presented as a sole presentation for COVID-19. So in 
with that reason, so we do not really uh, do screening for all our conjunctivitis patients unless they presented uh, other symptoms or signs as well. Okay, so uh, we do have a few more questions. Oh yeah, how to take fundus photo using smartphone? Oh, that is, uh, <laughs> I guess we need uh, a bit of gadget, the one that I show in my presentation, that gadget kind of thing, so that you can uh, take a fundus photo using our smartphone. But you have to have that particular gadget. I hope in the future, perhaps all these young ophthalmologists will think of something to incorporate it into the smartphone and make a lot of money so that your fundus photo will be available in smartphone. That's a challenge for you, Dr. Tan. You are the young ophthalmologist. Young ophthalmologist, yeah. Okay. yeah. I, I, I think one of our, one, one of my senior, Dr. Chan, I think Dr. Chan has uh, presented a lot of videos and uh, yeah. uh, gadgets, gadget intervention regarding fundus photos and smartphones. And then it's all available online, actually. Right. And then uh, the, 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 those gadgets and those equipments can be purchased via online and purchased via Shopee and online platform. They're very, very easy to use. So uh, maybe the public can, can go through that, yeah. Um, we have some, uh, we have two very uh, special, I mean, uh, very detailed questions regarding glaucoma. Maybe Prof. Lisa can help us to answer. It's from, uh, from our audience. She, she given two questions. She mentioned, is Fulfill 120 reliable to be used for glaucoma assessment? And also she asked another question, how effective is uh, WDT, the, the water is oh. called the water drinking test, the water drinking oh. test with the glaucoma drink. assessment? Okay. Yeah. Uh, for the first one, the full 320 use for glaucoma assessment. Um, okay, in terms of this, I think need to have a long chat about this glaucoma assessment, I guess. Uh, I think this is what they call uh, uh, a standard one, I guess. Uh, it depends. The glaucoma assessment will be divided into two uh, using the visual field. Either you want as a screening tool or as a follow-up tool. So um, uh, as a screening tool, it will be good. Uh, as a... Uh, uh, um, uh, many uh, follow-up tools. We want a quicker one. Okay, all right. Um, then in terms of uh, water drinking test, uh, okay. The water drinking test was actually an idea that come out uh, in the uh, in UK, I think, uh, many years ago, whereby they want to sort of a screening test who actually will develop. Uh, increased intraocular pressure, okay? But um, uh, right now, not many of us actually use that as a screening tool anymore. I think one yeah. thing is actually troublesome to the patient. The other thing, uh, it is taking a longer time, yes. I guess. Uh, but you, many of us have done it based for research only, not for a clinical kind of assessment. 
Okay, we still actually depends on our Bowman uh, clinician tonometry and fact some of these um, uh, mobile gadget like tonopan still being used rather than using uh, the, uh, the WDT or water drinking test. Okay. Okay, I hope that answered uh, the questions. Understood. Uh, I will have to answer the final two questions. One okay. So is there any negative effect postponing a cat trap removal operation? Yes, there is no negative effect. As Prof. Lisa has already mentioned, cataract surgery is an elective surgery. Unless the cataract has caused a significant eye uh, disease, like causing a glaucoma, uh, causing high pressure, causing uh, uveitis, causing red eye painful, uh, then will be an emergency or a, a rather a urgent operation. Otherwise, uh, we can afford to wait until a more favorable uh, timing to perform the surgery, okay? Uh, that will be my answer. And then the final question, uh, for 83 years, so what are the risks of to do operation? So um, op the risk of operation can be divided into uh, operation risk or uh, the systemic risk. So the operation risk, uh, in, uh, in such as infections and bleeding, the, the risk is uh, rather standard. So if the patient has hypertension, as long as the hypertension is, uh, is under control, patient can able to lie flat, uh, the, the risk of the operation is pretty standard. There's no additional risk. Right? Um, I have a last minute question. What is the frequency for eye assessment for over 55 years old? Uh, to rule out eye problems such as cataract, glaucoma, underlying retinopathy, and how safe and effective is LASIK? Uh, I will answer that also. So for, 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 for more than 55 years, uh, if you do not have previous ocular problem, you, you can do eye assessment or eye screening for once a year by a uh, qualified uh, ophthalmologist. Okay, uh, that will be my stand. And then, uh, yes, it is. Lasik is safe at the moment. Lasik is very safe. When Lasik uh, for Lasik, the technique and the surgery technique and the outcome is very mature uh, from overseas and even to Malaysia. Also, it's, it's more than ten years to fifteen years. So it is very safe to perform Lasik. But of course. The patient need to be properly assessed by a qualified uh, ophthalmologist before they uh, underwent any surgical procedure. Okay, yeah. so I think we are we are on the dot of time. It uh, four thirty already. So uh, I thank you. Any final words uh, from Prof Lisa? You want to give to our healthcare staff and uh, maybe to the public regarding IDCs in COVID-19 period? Okay, I think we, uh, this is uh, my final word basically, I think we try to, you know, adhere as what previously uh, our service have been before that as best as possible. Uh, and then not to be too, you know, too cautious. Every rate uh, is, uh, every conjunctivitis is COVID-19. You shouldn't be thinking that way, but at the same time, uh, what you need to refer still, you need to refer to 
ophthalmologist and you still need to know what are the red flags to be referred, what are, what are the frequency of referral. And for those who already having uh, eye problems, don't be fear or you have relative eye problem. Don't fear to come to the hospital if you need to come. Okay, uh, of course, there are COVID-19 everywhere. Even if you don't come to hospital, also you may get your COVID-19 in, you know, everywhere. So don't fear to come to the hospital because we do not have, want to have more blindness, more visually impaired because of your uh, unnecessary fear uh, of uh, COVID-19. That is my last word. Okay. Thank you, Prof. Any anything uh, additional, uh, Dr. Faizan would like to add? Okay, that's all. Thank, uh, thank you, everyone. Thank such a wonderful presentation. Thank you, everyone, for spending uh, our, your precious time to uh, to stay with us. I thank you, uh, Institute of Clinical Research, also for giving us this chance. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, and have a pleasant evening. <laughs>